blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, our Ransom, Lord, again, as always, we stand before you in absolute awe. You are everything, and you have provided everything for us. Lord, truly, all our hope is in you. Lord, we pray that, that as we draw closer to you and we seek your face and we desire to learn from you and to be filled by, by your spirit, Lord, that you truly would change us and transform us. Lord, you are the light of the world and yet as you shine on us and we reflect your light, Lord, use us to be that light in the world that has no hope. Lord, what a blessing it is that we can gather together here in the middle of, of a busy week. No doubt all of us have things pulling at our attention. And Lord, we, we make a conscious decision right now to put those things aside and ask that you would just speak to us tonight through your word. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those of us tonight that need encouragement, that you would strengthen those of us tonight that need strengthening that you would challenge us all, Lord, to trust you, to obey you, to follow you ever closer. We thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this family, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before you're seated, say hi to everybody around you and grab your Bibles. Good to see you all here tonight. Take out your Bibles if you would. Anybody ready to get into 1 Kings? Yeah. <laughs> You'd open your Bibles up to 1 Kings. If you're new to our Wednesday night midweek uh, service, we're going through the Word of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter, book by book. And on Wednesdays, we go, we're going through the Old Testament. And uh, we began our, our journey few years ago in the book of Genesis, and we've continued now, and tonight we get into the, the book of 1 Kings. We're, we're in the history now of the, of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, Israel, and, and uh, we've looked as we've gone through First and Second Samuel in a time when 
they requested that they no longer follow God alone, but that they be like the rest of the world and have a king, and God first allowed them to have Saul as their king to realize that it's not as the world sees things, but God's design and God's desire when there was a king was to have one after a man after his own heart, and that's, that was David. And we've looked at his life over the past several months as we've now completed 2 Samuel, and we begin tonight in 1 Kings, and as we travel through 1 and 2 Kings, together they originally were one book and have been divided now into two books, 1 and 2 Kings, and we're going to look at the history now of the children of Israel from the end of King David's reign all the way through to the captivity of Israel when they're taken away as a nation into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. That's how 2 Kings ends. It's a period that covers about 400 years. We'll look at the the history of, of the kings and even as the kingdom is divided into two kingdoms and the kings that we go through and we'll study through them. We can look at this, and this is a historical record, and and that is certainly um, one of the purposes for this, is to record the history. It's it's amazing, and if you know if you've ever watched people, you know there are sh- people sharing about how we can defend our faith. We don't need to apologize for things that it, you know that the Bible is an amazing archaeological book. As a, mad, as a matter of fact, many archaeologists, when they're looking for a historical site, they'll use the Bible as their place of reference. And sure enough, when they dig where the Bible says, "Hey, there's the city," it says it was there. But that's not the reason why we're here. I hope. I hope none of us are here tonight just for a history lesson. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the importance of why we look through what we do and why we study the Old Testament. In verse 6 he says, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Speaking of the, the stories that we read of here, he goes on to say, you know, not just evil things, but don't be idolaters, avoid immorality, don't, don't test the Lord, don't grumble. And in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul records for us, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, as an example for us. And they were written down for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then he goes on to say this, interesting, in verse 12. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. These things are examples for us. And one of the the cautions that we have to be careful of as we go through this, and I try to point that out often because we can easily say, man, they were really dumb. Why would they do that after all of those things? And we have to be careful because we step into that and, and Paul warns us, the Holy Spirit warning us through Paul, that we have to be careful of that. We have to take heed lest, lest we fall. He says that these things are as an example for us. You know, experience is a good teacher, but it doesn't have to be my experience, right? It doesn't have to be your experience that's a good teacher, These are written as an example for us. I mean, how many parents have said to their kids when they say, let me make my own mistakes? You know, how how silly is that, right? Why would you, why? Learn from other people's examples. Learn from other people's mistakes. I've said to my son a few times that you said you want to make your own mistakes? Well, don't make that one. I already made one. That's mine. (laughs) You know, I've learned from that. You learn from it. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, again, 
For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So not only do we, we learn from, from experiences, their mistakes, their successes, but through perseverance, we learn that as the, as the godly men and women of the, of the scriptures persevered and trusted God, we can look to those and say, you know what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is just as faithful today to me and to you as he was them, then to them. And we can draw hope from that. As we begin tonight again, we're, as we look at, at 1 Kings and beginning in verse 1, we see now David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes so that, because he could not keep warm. He, he's 70 years old. you have anybody over 70? A few, right? And, and, and I know that you don't have to be 70 to feel at times when you can't get warm, right? And I don't know, I don't, I don't want to offend, probably all of you who are over 70 say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm not, I'm not that old. But it wasn't, just the, it wasn't just the age of David, it was the mileage. <laughs> David had been through a lot, and we've studied through that, and we've watched that, his wilderness years and the battles. He was a warrior, and here we are at the end of David's life, and he's been through so much. And it tells us that he's, he's struggling even now, his body to even keep warm. And it tells us so, verse 2, So his servants said to, to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse. And let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may be kept warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful and she became the king's nurse and served him. And notice verse 4, but the king did not cohabit with her. This was not a, a sexual thing. This, this was to take care of him. They didn't have electric blankets back then so <laughs> that she would be able to lay next to him to help keep him warm. But there was nothing, nothing immoral whatsoever with this. Verse 5, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. Now, Adonijah, one of David's sons, he was actually the fourth oldest son, but at this time, he's the oldest living son. We looked as we were going through 2 Samuel, we saw his son Absalom who had said the same thing. I'm, he exalted himself, made himself king, just as now we see Adonijah doing. But his revolt was overthrown after he had killed his, the second in line, Amnon. The third oldest son that's recorded for us again in, in 2 Samuel, Chiliab, we have no other record of him other than his name listed there. So most scholars believe that he died somewhere in his younger days. Adonijah now, seeing the fact that David has reached this point in age, will be dying soon, takes it upon himself and exalting himself as the oldest remaining son and saying, I will be able to get many to follow me in this, and he does. It says in verse 6, however, his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. So we know he's Absalom's younger brother. But we see something important here. David never 
confronted Adonijah. And that's in here, obviously, for a reason. There must have been something about him, his, his nature, his rebellion. Probably grew up, just call it like it is, a spoiled brat. And now the oldest son and feeling, I deserve this, I need to do this. And it tells us David never corrected him, never put him in his place. And we as parents can maybe relate to that. It's difficult at times for us, especially as our children get older, to deal with a difficult situation in their life. Difficult situations come up in our lives all the time. And let me just let you in on a little something that I'm sure David would tell you if he were here, and I'm sure most of us could relate to if we've ever put off difficult decisions because we just don't want to deal with them or hoping that they'll just kind of take care of themselves. The earlier you deal with a situation, the less problems there are later. This becomes a major problem because David never dealt with it early on. We saw that with Absalom, the same thing. Never dealt with it when they were children. Never dealt with it as it, was, as it first showed itself. And here we see now Adonijah setting himself up to be king. Now, if you're not familiar at all with this story, you might be saying, so what's the big problem? Well, we're going to see what the big problem is here in a moment. It tells us that Adonijah, it says, verse 7, he had conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And following Adonijah, they helped him. Now, Joab was the commander of David's army, and Abiathar, one of the priests of David, they were faithful to him when Absalom brought his, his coup against David. They've stayed faithful to David, but here we see now they're siding with Adonijah. But it says interestingly in verse, verse 8, but Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shemei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. They weren't invited. Adonijah knew that these others would be faithful to David. Notice in the list, the two that went with Adonijah, there were many others, but the two that are listed there, there is, there's no prophet that's listed. There's a man of war, Joab. There's, there's a priest, Abiathar, but he doesn't bring a prophet. Now, a prophet is one that brings the word of God the one who will speak the word of God. And Nathan, the man of God that he was, brought the word of God when, even when it was difficult to bring. If you remember back when David fell in his sin with Bathsheba, it was Nathan that came to him and gave him the, the illustration of the man that stole his neighbor's, neighbor's lamb and that type of stuff. David said, that man should die. And Nathan said, you are that man. Brought him that news. But you know what's interesting especially when we're contemplating to step out and to do something that may be questionable. It's amazing that we will surround ourselves with people that we want, that will tell us what we want to hear. And, and even if it's not questionable, even if we're pretty convinced, but we just don't want to hear another side to the story. I remember back when when I first, when we had our hot tub business and it, it was really booming and it, we, first couple of years and it was going so great and I, I just knew, man, the best thing that I can do is to move our store and expand or even open a second store. So I contacted four godly men and asked them to pray. And the four that I selected, I personally picked because I knew that they would agree with me. I, 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 these guys are, they're for sure going to agree with this. You know what? All four of them prayed about it and said, it's not the right time. 
I listened to them for a while. The rest of it's the rest of a story another time. When we get to 1 Kings 22, we're going to see King Ahab in a story that, that he, there's a, the, a war is beginning and he goes to Jehoshaphat, the, the other king, and, and says, hey, let's, let's come together and go fight together. And Jehoshaphat said, well, shouldn't we get some, a priest and, and seek the Lord in this or a prophet to seek the Lord? And he said, sure. And so he brought in all of his prophets. And they all said, oh, yeah, king, go for it. <laughs> well, Jehoshaphat kind of saw right through that, and he said, well, isn't there a, like a godly prophet around? And Ahab said, well, there's this guy named Micaiah, but he never prophesies anything good for me. <laughs> so you know, I, I don't want anything to do with him. But he eventually relents, and sure enough, Micaiah comes and says, if you go, you're going to die. If you go into battle, you're going to die. And he goes, see, I told you, never has anything good to say about me. Never has anything good to prophesy for me. But you know what, guys? We need people who will speak the truth into our lives. We need people who will seek the Lord and to speak truth into our lives. The, the office of prophet in the Old Testament is very different than the office of prophecy or the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. But it's still... Even now, it's, back then, it's thus saith the Lord. It's recorded for us. It's actually speaking that. But now the gift of the Holy Spirit of prophecy is still, is still that speaking what God would lay on someone's heart about a particular situation. Or, or uh, and, and sometimes even, I, I've, been, I've been in a situation where a word of prophecy was given about someone being involved in sin in their life and that person came under such conviction and knew that in that room full of people that the Holy Spirit was speaking through that person to them and they repented. Word of prophecy. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God for no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That, that there's edification that comes through that. And sometimes, guys, that edification, that exhortation comes when the word is given that maybe we didn't want to hear, but we need to hear it. And Adonijah goes, goes off on his own without that purposely, I believe, purposely going with that. Verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zeholeth, which is behind, beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah and the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the, the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. Now Nathan the prophet spoke to Bathsheba. That's, that's Solomon's mother, David's wife, one of them. Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Nathan knew that if Adonijah was to have his way, and we're going to see here in a moment why he would have had to eliminate Solomon and Bathsheba in this process, 
He says, you need to listen to me because your lives are at stake for this. He says, go at once to King David and say to him, have you not, my lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Nathan told Bathsheba to go to David and to say, didn't you say, didn't you didn't you swear by the Lord that Solomon, my son, our son, was going to be the king after you? And that wasn't just because David, that was David's favorite son. No, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David says that God told him that Solomon was to be the next king after him. So, and, that's, and we're going to see in a little bit that, that that wasn't just secret information. That was proclaimed. Adonijah knew that. So Nathan is saying, we have, to, we have to act quickly. Behold, verse 14, while you are still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the king in, in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king. And the king said, what do you wish? She said to him, My Lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Now behold, Adonijah is king, and now my Lord the king, you do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. I wonder how that must have stung David to hear that. Not just that his son was doing this, another son going against what, what was supposed to take place, going against his authority, but now the two that had stuck by him all of this time, Joab and Abiathar, have also joined in this, how that had to, how, how that had to hurt. As for you now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Everybody's looking to see what you're going to do, David. Otherwise, it will come about as soon as my lord the king sleeps, sleeps with his fathers, and I, then that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. Again, no doubt Adonijah then would come against them. Behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. They told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Then Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. But me, even your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he is not invited. Has this thing been done by my lord the king? And you have not shown your servants who, who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Did you, do, did you plan all of this and put this all together without letting us know? Then King David said, call Bathsheba to me. So obviously she left the room when Nathan came in. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. 
The king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, surely, as I vowed to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, and I will indeed do so this day. Today is the day this will take place. I love that. Back in verse 29, the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress. At the end of David's life, no doubt in this time that he is no longer really actively king. We see he's pretty much bedridden. and No doubt thinking again of the faithfulness of God and how he has been redeemed over and over. And I don't think that that's just talking about military victories. No doubt talking about how he has forgiven me of so much. He has... He has given me so much. He has blessed me with so much. He has always been faithful. Then Bathsheba, verse 31, bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. Now that, that was a common saying. That wasn't like, you know, I, I know you're kind of getting ready to go and you're cold and you're everything like that. I hope you stay like that forever. That's not what she's saying. That was just a, a common thing that to show of great respect. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. The king said to them, Take with you the, servant, the servants of the Lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon. Set Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, have them anoint him there as king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him and he shall sit on my throne and be king in my place for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, amen. Thus may the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king say. He says, here, here, here's what we're going to do. Get my mule and, get, and place him on that. That is the, the, like, the, like the, the, the presidential limo that, that, that only the king would ride. And so he's saying, this is a show that, that I am behind this. Have him ride my mule down and anoint him. The, the anointing of the king by, by the prophet. Verse 37, as the Lord has been with my Lord the King, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, says that may the, the throne of Solomon be greater than your throne, David. Now that says, <laughs> I, 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 I love that thinking about David's reaction there. Because I know people in power and, and that type of thing. You know, it's, it's that, you know, David didn't take offense at that. David wasn't, what do you mean, greater than my throne? I think that, that pleased him that he would say that. And, and, and that's the mark of a good leader. That's the mark of a man that people will follow is it's not about David. It's about the kingdom. And even after I'm gone, if Solomon were to be able to be raised up and be even greater and used more by the Lord, praise God. So, verse 38, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, 
The Cherethites, the Pelethites, they went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. Zadok, the priest, then took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him and the people were playing on flutes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth shook at their noise. (laughs) This great praise goes up, an excitement that goes up. Solomon, the king. Now, a couple of things to kind of bring into focus here. David has been ruling and reigning for 40 years. 40 years, one king, 40 years. Most of the people that were probably involved in this had never had another king. They weren't, most of them were probably not alive when Saul was king, so they've never known anyone else. Can you imagine having a, a president for 40 years? I'm not saying which president. <laughs> but I bet that if I said a president like David, one who feared the Lord, one who sought after God in his decisions that he made, one who surrounded himself by godly men and women, one who ruled in such a way that he placed the interests of the people ahead of himself, always, one who had military victory after military victory because he followed the Lord. I don't know, I could follow a president like that for 40 years. <laughs> I believe that the response of the people is, is a response to the fact that that's our king and this is his choice. And because we know our king, we know that that must be then God's choice. And so they are rejoicing in that fact. Now, something to know about Solomon We don't know for certain exactly, but we can fit it in chronologically. He can't be much older than about 17 years old. Most scholars put him in the age range of 15 to 17. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be too excited about a president who's 15 to 17, although with the choices we... I didn't say that. I I did not say that out loud. There's great rejoicing. And again, it's, it's not because now we have some kid that's leading us. It's again their belief that he will, be, he will follow in the footsteps of his godly father, David. So there's this great rejoicing. It says it's so loud the earth is shaking. So just imagine what is going on in this city. Now, this place is just outside of David, the, the, the city of David, which is just down the hill, as we've, we've looked at pictures before, of, of the current, like where the, the, the Temple Mount is today. It's just down the hill where city, the city of David is, and it's being excavated even today in, in Jerusalem. And this is just outside that, down you know, in, the, in the Kidron Valley there, where this is taking place. Just less than a mile away is where Adonijah is with his, with his posse, and they hear it. Now, Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing eating. Then Joab heard the sound of the trumpet and said, Why is the city making such an uproar? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest, came. 
Then Adonijah said, come in, for you are a valiant man and must bring good news. <laughs> or not. Adonijah thinking, man, if it's, if it's Abiathar's son, he's the guy who always brings the good news. But Jonathan replied to Adonijah, no, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king also sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the, Cher the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they have come up from that place rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise which you have heard. Besides, Solomon has even taken his seat on the throne of the kingdom. Moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon better than your name and his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. Again, not... Can't, can't even get out of bed for this act, but in his response, he is now saying, I'm in full agreement. King David bowing now. King Solomon is now king, sitting on the throne. The king has also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted one to sit on my throne today while I can see it with my own eyes. Verse 49, then all the guests of Adonijah were terrified, and they arose, and each went his own way. <laughs> Can you imagine that kind of scene right there? Ooh. <laughs> Hope nobody saw I was here, as they all kind of <laughs> scamper away. <laughs> Adonijah is left there with just a couple that are left. And it says, Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, and he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now, it tells us, in the law, that that was something that someone who had, had committed a crime, they could go and, and plead for mercy by grabbing hold of the horns of the altar, and at that time, then, no, no punishment could be brought directly against them while they were pleading for mercy there. Now, it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying... Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Now, we know, and we're going to see as we continue on, even this evening if we have time, but as we continue on through the reign of David, or the reign of Solomon, though he is a young man, 15, 16, 17 years old, he's a wise young man. And we see that, I believe, here first displayed in verse 52. Solomon said, if he's a worthy man... Not one hair of his head will fall to the ground, but if wickedness is found in him, he will die. I'm not going to agree to his terms. I'm not going to get into an oath that binds me to something like that. If he's, if he's innocent, he's got nothing to worry about. But if he's guilty, he should be worried. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and prostrated himself before King Solomon, and Solomon said, go to your house, go to your room. Again, his older brother, we don't know how much older, but no doubt many years difference in their ages. And he says to him, and again, he has, the, he has all of the authority now. He's king. He could say, put him to death. But he says, and he shows mercy, he says, go, go, go to your room, go home, behave yourself. Chapter 2, and we don't know the time frame now between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, but certainly not, not long. As David's time 
to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of all of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. David brings Solomon in, and he says in, in verse 2, Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Can I tell you that there is a difference between being a male and being a man? Being a male is, you got a 50-50 shot when you're born. <laughs> but being a man is something very different. And the world defines being a man very differently than the Bible defines being a man. The world has all sorts of things where it tells us how to be a man. And all, you know, all of the things, you know, real men and fill in the blank. Right? Real men don't cry. Real men don't eat quiche. You know. Real men drive whatever your favorite truck is. You know. Well, I'll tell you, the real man, the man, Jesus Christ, cried. Nobody's going to stand before him someday and say, dude, real men don't cry. I don't know if you ever ate quiche or not, but <laughs> the world defines being a man very differently than the Bible does. And David gives us an outline a little bit here, but Paul also talks of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as he closes 1 Corinthians, he says, Chapter 16, verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, the world would probably go along with the first one, be strong, but those rest of the things, and certainly the world would not agree with as David continues in verse 3, he says, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses. David is telling us the truth, that if you want to be a real man, if you want to be a real woman, I'm going to, this goes across the things, but to illustrate the point, and especially there's a bunch of young men over here, you want to be a real man? GQ isn't going to tell you how to be a real man. Esquire magazine is not going to tell you how to be a real man. The Wall Street Journal will not tell you how to be a real man. This will tell you how to be a real man. The Word of God. And again, the same goes. This isn't a, we'll change it. This is a gender neutral illustration now for all of us. It, this, this holds the truth how we can be men and women of God, men and women who will be blessed by God. David. David is, right. he, David is the one who wrote Psalm 1. No doubt Solomon hearing that and probably read it, forced to memorize it when he was a kid, probably. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't go to the world to find out how to be defined as the perfect man or woman, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The world will tell you that if you want to be defined, if you want to be a real man, a real woman, you take control, you take charge, you control your destiny, you do it, you do it. Do you know what it is about a tree? How much input does a tree have as to where it's planted? None. But what does a tree do? It grows where it's planted. And that's what, that, that, that's a, that's a, you want to be a real man or a woman of God? Grow where God has you. Grow where God has planted you. He knows where to plant the trees so that they will yield the best fruit. My wife and I are talking about doing some landscaping in our backyard. And we were talking about that, you know, over the couple of weeks that I took off, we were going and looking at some places, and we said, you know what, we need to get an expert out here. We need to get somebody here to help us do this, because I don't know what plants need shade and what plants need this, and if we want the, the grapefruit tree to produce grapefruits, what's the best, and how do we do that? By streams of living water. We're planted there. God plants us in those places not to dry up and shrivel up, but so that our, our roots go deep. And the interesting thing about how trees, when they're planted close together and the roots grow deep, the roots intertwine. And as we together grow where we're planted together, we, 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 we come alongside each other and we encourage one another and grow together. David knew these things by experience. He also wrote, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He tells him, you do this and you will succeed in all that you do wherever you turn. Again, because he is, you follow after him, he will give you the desires of your heart. You will succeed in everything that he has placed before you. Verse 4, so that the, the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The promise that, that the Lord made to David. David wanted to build, if you'll remember, if you were part of our study, then David wanted to build the temple. And, Dave, and the Lord said, no, you're not the one to build the temple. Your son will. Solomon will build the temple. And you, if your sons follow after me as you have, there will always be, your sons will always be blessed and there will always be one on the throne. Verse five, now you also know that Joab, now David here speaking again to Solomon, you know that Joab, the son of Zariah, you know what he did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He murdered them. If you were part of our study, they, were, they had no idea this was coming. He, he killed them in cold blood. He also shed the blood of war in peace. And he put the blood of war on his belt, about his waist, and on his sandals, on his feet. So act according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. When I, when I think of that again in verse 6, he says, So act according to your wisdom. 15-year-old boy, you decide what to do. Act according to your wisdom. Now, that might sound foolish, but we get some insight later on in Solomon's life 
as he pens most of the Proverbs. We'll find out. Solomon becomes the wisest man that ever lived. And yes, because God gifted him that with wisdom. But Solomon also tells us, we get a little insight into this, in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son of the sight, in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom, and with your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place your head with a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Solomon is the one who said the, beginning, the, beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's the one who says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Yes, the wisdom came from the Lord, but his father David poured into his son. Dads, grandpas, moms, grandmas, pour into your kids. Pour the word of God into your kids. These, David's saying, act according to your wisdom but that wisdom had a basis behind it. That wisdom had a foundation. He says in verse 7, But show kindness to the sons of Berzilei, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they assisted me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. We saw that back in 2 Samuel. Behold, there is with you Shemai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, of Bahurim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. If you remember that story, when David was going out, Absalom was the king. He was shouting curses at him because he's a descendant of Saul. And he's saying, you're getting your comeuppance now. And he's shouting all of these curses. Well, then after Absalom was killed and David's coming back, he's like, um... Eh. Don't kill me. And David promised that he wouldn't. Number, verse 9, Now therefore do not let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. And you will know what you ought to do with him, and you will bring his gray hair down to Sheol with blood, for you are a wise man. Again, 15, 16, 17 years old. You're a wise man. Act according to your wisdom. You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourselves an example of those who believe. Again, young men, don't let anyone look down on your youth. You be an example. The world needs young examples in this day. Be an example in your school. Be an example wherever you are. You are wise. As you spend time in the Word of God, God will pour into you and you shine. 
You shine in this, in this dark place. People might look at you and say, who are you? you say, I'm a child of God, man. <laughs> I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. And Solomon sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, do you come peacefully? And he said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, speak. So he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel expected me to be king. Both wrong. <laughs> it never was his. And certainly not all of Israel was out there to do that because there was so many left in Jerusalem. The earth shook when they were singing. But he's trying to maneuver his way in. But notice what he says next. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So he understands it. it wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't a, a new revelation to him. He knew this. I think, again, that's probably why he was going around the way he was. But he's not concerned with that. He doesn't fear the Lord. He's still trying to get his angle here talking out of both sides of his mouth. It was mine, except it was his from the Lord. Now I'm making one request of you. Do not refuse me. And she said to him, speak. Then he said, please speak to Solomon the king, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife. Bathsheba said, well, very well. I'll speak to the king for you. She doesn't understand what is going, you know, what his angle is. It probably sounded to her like, okay, well, that's a fair request. I mean, it, you know, the, the, the one that was taking care of David, and now he's, he's gone. So, okay, let me, let me talk to him for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. And then he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat to his right. So here's... 16, 17-year-old Solomon sitting on the throne says, pull up a chair, Mom. <laughs> then she said, I'm making one small request of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said, ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. <laughs> I mean, Mom. You know, kids, it, that's, always, that's always a warning, right? When your kids come up and say, hey, Dad, I got something to ask, but say yes before I ask, you know? So, you know. But he, he says, okay. She said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. King Solomon answered and said to his mother, and why are you asking Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom. For he is my brother, even for him, for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. He's like, give give." Give her as a wife? Why don't you just give him the kingdom? And while you're at it, let's just bring Joab in and Abiathar and let's just put it out that way. I mean, there, <laughs> he sees right through this. He, he understands that this, this woman, even though wasn't a wife, wasn't a concubine, 
his angle is, okay, if I'm walking around with, with her on my arm, I, I can get people to come alongside and say, oh, well, he must have been the king then, or supposed to be the king. He's trying to work this angle. And I believe, not just my, my thought on this, because Solomon, in his wisdom, calls out Abiathar and Joab here in this, that they're probably co-conspirators in this. Joab is probably thinking, that thing that we did the other day, that didn't work. This is my last shot. <laughs> I've already played my cards. So trying one last, one last thing, but Solomon sees right through it again in his youth, but in his wisdom. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, surely Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him so that he died. Then to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own field, for you deserve to die, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted in everything with which my father was afflicted. So Solomon dismissed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So Solomon orders that Adonijah be put to death. And we see, we see in Adonijah, again, a very selfish person who's willing to put his own desires and even to cause great division for his own personal benefit. Putting putting the, the kingdom aside, putting all of those things aside just so that there, even if there's division, no matter who it hurts, as long as at the end of the day, I'm on top. Again, totally different than David. Remember back when David, when Absalom brought his, his coup against David. David could have stayed there and fought and won, but he was worried that there would be casualties. He was worried that innocent people would get caught in the crossfire of it all. So he even stepped, put his own interests on the back burner for others. Adonijah's heart doesn't matter who gets in the crossfire as long as I end up on top, as long as everybody recognizes me. It doesn't matter the division that might take place. But when it comes to Abiathar the priest... Solomon shows mercy to him, probably understanding he just got caught up in this, in this whole thing, but because he, was, he had served David so faithfully for all of those years, and because he carried the ark, he was ministering before the Lord under David, he said, you, you're being relieved of all of your duties. You are no longer a priest. Go home and live out your days in your home. And it tells us in verse 27 that that fulfilled the word of the Lord going all the way back to 1 Samuel, the beginning of 1 Samuel, when Eli, the priest at the time, if you were part of that, if not, go back and read the first couple of chapters. I'll summarize it real quickly. Eli was a priest. His two sons, Phinehas and Hophni, they were wicked sons, and they were doing all sorts of perverted things in the temple, and Eli never stopped them. And because the, the Lord said, because you have placed your interests of your sons and your unwillingness to deal with them ahead of honoring me and my, my place, your family will be removed from the priesthood. And here we see the fulfillment of that 
Abiathar being the last of the priests in Eli's line. Zadok, now his family, his line will take it from there, moving forward. But we're going to have to stop there this evening, so we'll pick it up in verse 28 next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the promise that if we, if we read it, if we meditate on it, if we allow your spirit to work it into us, and Lord, then we obediently walk it out. Your word tells us, your word makes that promise that we will be like those trees firmly planted. That whatever we do, we will prosper because if we are truly following in that, we will be exactly where you want us to be. We will use the tools and the gifts that you have gifted to us and your purposes will be accomplished. If we delight ourselves in, in you, your promise is that you will give us the desires of your heart because they will be your desires. Lord, we thank you for recording these things for us, for our instruction. So we can, we can see those things, that, those, those warning signs, and we can turn away. We don't need to make the same mistakes that, that others have, but also we can, we can have encouragement. We can have hope because we see that as people followed you and, and loved you and served you, you were faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, our prayer is that, that we would meditate on these things and that we would seek you and you first and you always. Guide us, lead us, direct us, protect us, watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a good remainder of the week.